0: Yeah, so this morning we are like we, three weeks into this series. We're talking about thy kingdom come, this, this prayer that Jesus prayed in Matthew chapter 6. Where we started this whole conversation where he said, pray that God's kingdom will come, that you will see it, that you'll feel it, that you'll know it. And in fact, he, he ends that whole section on with this radical call to seek the kingdom first. And this is like this conversation Jesus has over and over again throughout the gospels, the, all these conversations about the kingdom. And this morning, I want to talk about ra- the word radical. Like how we might become radical again, that, that we might understand what that actually meant. You know, I don't know if you you know this, but in when Jesus was on the planet, Jesus was actually considered really radical. Like the call to reorder people's lives, the the reality that he brought to the planet was this idea, and this is, this is kind of what we, we all move into. If you're going to follow Jesus, you have to move into this idea that what you can see and what you can touch and what you can feel and what you can know and what you can possess is not all there is. That, that this life and, and in our physical presence is not all there is, that there is a spiritual nature to us, an eternal nature, something that goes beyond what we can grasp. And this is actually, this is actually what Christians believe, right? That, that God is at work in our lives, even when we don't see it, even when things are going wrong, that God is at work, that there is something supernatural happening. And that someday we will be in his presence and someday we will experience that in a reality that is undeniable. We'll have one of those moments like Isaiah had last week that we talked about when Andy was here to preach about that moment that Isaiah saw God in the heavenly realms and be like, whew! But that is what Jesus is inviting us to. To believe that. To take risks of faith because we actually believe. We're actually devoted to God and his presence and its reality in our lives. So, here's a question that I want to start with this morning. What if we were radicalized by Jesus? What if we were radicalized by Jesus? Now, in the 80s, and I realize, like, you hear that term, you're like, I don't know if I want that, right? Because now in the 80s, when we said you're going to be radicalized, we meant something totally different, right? right? Like, dude, that's radical. Right? And that, that meant something totally different than what we hear today. When you hear the word radical and radicalized, you don't think about those days. You think about what you just heard on the news. Because when we hear radicalization, right, we, we think about the process in which someone converts to an extremist group, to a terrorist group, to a violent movement who's willing to kill others and die and kill others because they resist their beliefs. And we think, I, I don't want that. But, but I want to take a look at the first century. I want to understand it. And I want to, I let's just start with a definition of what it means to be radical, even today. And, and the base definition of this, when you begin to do some research, is this it means if, when someone is radicalized, this is what people say, is when they're radicalized, what it means is that they sever all present allegiances and they give their full devotion. To an organization that is built on an uncommon and countercultural ideology. Okay? Now let me say something. I think you know where I'm going with this. It's gonna stretch you a little bit. Ready? In the first century, when the kingdom was preached and the gospel was accepted, and someone was baptized, you know, what baptism actually was, it was a sign of severing your allegiance to the common religion and the empire. When it was accepted, it was like people said, I am now fully, I'm going to give my full allegiance to Jesus of Nazareth. I'm going to agree that he is not just a person, he is God, and I'm going to trust in him. Are you ready for this? When people saw that happen, they saw baptism, they saw someone accept the gospel, you know what they thought? These people have been radicalized because they severed their allegiance to go the way of culture and religion. They, they made a full devotion to an uncommon ideology that the God of the universe on the planet as man and laid his life down and that there is a spiritual reality in which we can now have life and they became willing not to die and kill others that resist their beliefs but rather to die to bring life to others to be martyred that they might just speak the name of Jesus and have someone understand that reality and grasp that reality because it had become so real to them that it was beyond anything else Considered radical. So it brings me to the natural question that I think we all have to ask if that's true. If that was what was radical then, what does it mean for us today? What does it mean for us to be radical? like To have absolute devotion, you know, do we, do we have such absolute devotion to our faith that we're no longer bound by the expectations of society of what we should be or what we should do, or what we should wear, or what we should look like, what we should earn? Do we feel sometimes maybe a little more allegiance to our political party than we do to God's reality and to kingdom living? Does, it, does kingdom living raise that same higher level of emotion? Do Maybe in our current culture, do we battle the idea that wealth is our security over God, being the only thing. Are we willing to take the kind of kingdom risks that absolute devotion might call upon us? So as we're going here in this direction today, I got to tell you, I I feel this big tension in it. I do. I I, I sit in it, and I, as I was reading the scriptures and preparing for this message, I was like. I don't know like, I don't know how I'm going to answer all these questions I want them. like like I want it but I resist it you know what I'm saying like I want to move into it I really want to appreciate it but I, at the same time it feels intrusive like I, oh god not that one not there you know what I mean so strap in Let's have a conversation about this. because I, I think this is what Jesus was saying when, when Jesus said in, in, in Matthew 6.33, Seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and everything else will be given to you as well. I think this is what he was saying. Are you radical in your devotion to God? Are you radical in your devotion to God? Are you willing to step outside of what's comfortable what would feel good for you? What would help you avoid what else is going on in life and just try to soothe it over, smooth it over? Are you more comfortable in what you can see and touch and feel than you are in the spiritual reality that God is at work and wants to meet you and do something significant? Is there this question that, that resonates in my soul in this conversation, which is, is God going to ask too much. You know what I mean you know I mean it's like when, when I first was coming to Jesus and I felt like God was saying we just give it, like we just follow me Sean and I was like like does this mean I have to go to Africa like isn't that like the question right like where am I, where am I going to send me on the planet that I'm going to have to go if I say yes to you what are you going to ask him it's like the moment when you as parents you ask your kids to help you with something right and you feel like it's pretty straightforward like just we just help me with this? And they're like, you get an eye roll, and then you get a like, this is the worst thing ever. I can't believe you would ask me to pick that dish up and put it in the sink. I'm on the couch. It's a long way from the couch to the kitchen. I, You know, I mean, we've just all been there. Like, we do that with God, right? This is what we're afraid of with God. It's the same story. Man, what are you going to ask so, I think this is something that I've been learning for a long time. Trying to walk in and understand, and that's this. If, if God really is first, if I, can, if I can move that direction, and I'm always struggling, and I'm always getting pulled to like, do it my own way, but if I can trust God, and every time that I do, this happens again, when I trust God, my life is so much fuller than had I tried to do it on my own. And it's not easy, but it's so much better. I think this is where Jesus is trying to say is, you can never earn what I want to give you for free. if You'll just trust me and follow me. So, so I want to talk about this today, and if you want to, you want to open up your program guide, you can. We can, you can follow along. We're, we're going to eventually land in Mark chapter 1, if you're looking in your Bible or your Bible app. But before we get there, I want you to understand, I felt like it was really important for you to understand a little kingdom theology. Like, if you're going to understand what Jesus was talking about when he was talking about the kingdom, you've got to understand how he understood the kingdom and what the scripture tells us about the kingdom in terms of theology about the kingdom. So I just want to put some puzzle pieces together. And this is a, if we were going to talk about kingdom theology, it could take us like an hour a day we'd just spend all our time just talking about that. But we're not going to do that. I'm just going to give you the three-minute version of the kingdom theology just the the basis of it to help you understand how jesus might see this so you all know that there's a creation story right genesis the very beginning of genesis talks about the creation of man and we're created in god's image we're going to talk about that but did you know that just like the marvel movies there's always a prequel right there's a prequel to this in scripture and in the very beginning according to scripture and all those scriptures are up there you can can write them in if you want bonus material to study this a little bit later but in the very beginning there was just the kingdom of heaven we, we looked at this a little bit last week Andy preached about Isaiah 6 and just this this picture of the kingdom of heaven and the angels and God just created celestial beings and there's the kingdom of heaven and it is beautiful and this is where God rules and his love and his beauty and the only thing keeping angels there is his beauty and his love there's no force you have to stay this is the kingdom of heaven and it's an amazing place. But one of the celestial beings that God creates, same as Lucifer. This leads us kind of to the second stage of kingdom history. There's only the kingdom of heaven, but now there's a revolt. And in that revolt, what happens is Lucifer in his createdness says, you know what, God? I don't, I think I'm better. I think I could do this better. I think I got a better way. I think I know a little better. I mean, I know you created everything, and you've got it all in it, but I, I think I'm, I'm just going to do it my own way. And he rejects God, and he rebels against God, and there is a revolt in which he is then expelled from heaven. And thus the beginning of two kingdoms. There was just one, the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God. Now there's two, the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God, and the kingdom of self getting it your own way, doing it your own way. And then, this two kingdoms crashes into our existence because God, in his great love and creativity, says, I'm going to create humanity. And I'm going to give them opportunity to live under my loving rule and the source of life. I'm going to have a relationship with them. I'm going to create them for a relationship with me. I'm going to create them differently than the celestial beings. Did you know that? We're in, like the scriptures actually say the celestial beings long to have the kind of relationship and, and being and existence that you have. Because that's how special humanity is in God's mind. So he creates humanity, and of course that brings us to the Garden of Eden, and, and he creates the Garden of Eden, and it's going to be a place where people can, Adam and Eve can enjoy their life with God as their source of life, except he puts one tree in there, and that one tree says, don't eat of, because we have to make a choice. Will You love me. Do You want this. This is important. The essence of love is choice, right? you got to choose. It doesn't, doesn't mean anything to anybody when you say, I love you, because you have to. It means something when you choose to. And so, in the Garden of Eden, of course, Lucifer shows up. Lucifer's name, Satan the devil, means slander. Liar, adversary, shows up in the Garden of Eden, and and as the spiritual story goes, it basically talks about this lie that gets implanted into humanity, this this doubt, And, and here it is, right? It's, does God really care about you? I mean, is God really loving and good for you? I mean, you know, he might care about others, but... What about you? Does anyone really care about you as much as you? There it is. You've lived that, haven't you? Does anybody care about me as much as me? And that might have been expressed in pain. That may have been expressed in doubt. That may have been expressed in selfishness. That may have been expressed in a lot of different ways, but there it is. Does anyone really care about me as much as me? And the kingdom of self becomes a reality for all humanity. And from this point forward, and this is a reality that you know and you've witnessed, right the kingdom of self, humanity begins to live in this propensity towards living outside of God's design. Right, Their, their, their moral compass is corrupted, like it's hard to figure out what is the right thing to do now. And you find yourself doing the wrong thing, even though you thought it might have been the right thing. It's not the right thing. And, 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 and fear comes into the world, and shame. And the official name for this, of course, is sin. That's what the Bible calls it. And suddenly the earth that was meant to be this place of the kingdom of God, marked by freedom and fullness and source of life and love, is marred by rebellion and by selfishness, by violence, by brokenness, by hurt, by poverty separation from God. Now You've all felt that. You've got a story in your past, and it has some of that in it. You watch the news every night, and there it is. And thus, and this is, this is kind of the summary now, this is, thus starts this great spiritual battle for two kingdoms, for humanity. This war between two kingdoms, that is the kingdom of self and the kingdom of God. And the problem with sin, and this is what Jesus came to do for all of us, this is what he came to kind of pull back the curtain on, is that sin never delivers on its promise to fulfill you, to make you happy, to make everything all right. The kingdom of self always ends up in the same place. A little too empty, a little too much without purpose, a little too lonely. No sense of belonging. It's so where the kingdom of self always leads. I remember at Penn State, I mean, I told you the story, I think, uh, a few weeks ago. talked about, like, when I first was coming to Christ and, and saw some people who were doing, like, really actually devoted to Christ. I was like, I, I really want that. But I'm not, I didn't tell you why, how, how I got there. I remember being at Penn State, and um, I just had a, whole, I had a whole slew of friends, and, I remember being at one party and I showed up early and I was helping them set up and then I, I was just hanging out with them and I remember the gal that came up to me and she was hosting the party and she said, You know, she said, I, I don't understand something. I said, What? She said, You're here and um, she said, you, you don't, you're not drinking. You don't have a beer in your hand. I don't understand how you can possibly do that. I'm like, What, what do you mean? Because I, I don't even like beer. Just, it tastes nasty. To me. So I, I don't know what you mean, right? And she says, no, no, no. She said, I would feel singled out in this moment. I would feel like everyone was looking at me in this moment. I would feel like I don't belong if I stood there. And I, I hadn't really thought about that because I had begun to begin to build some relationships with other believers, other people who are following Jesus. And, and I, I, God had begun to do this work in me of like the kingdom of self that I had always pursued was not all there was and was not doing anything for me. And I remember walking home from that night in State College, down College Ave, as the drunks were having a great time and laughing, thinking about all the people at the party, and I knew that they were going to try to hook up with each other. And think about that conversation I had with that, that gal more than once. She was so empty. And all these pursuits in her, always led her to the same place, which is like, I'm trying to find something that's going to deeply satisfy my soul, and I keep coming up empty. And in that moment, I remember that walk home, I saw it as what it was, which was darkness. And I just thought, God, I I want, I don't want that. I got to make a choice. That's why I'm so grateful for my experience at Penn State. It saved me. God used it to open my eyes to say, I, I want more than this. There is more than this. I I still remember this uh, phrase that I was given in high school by uh, a student, uh, uh, a youth leader, who said to me once, Sean, you always have a choice. It always makes a difference. You always have a choice. And here's what I've I've come to realize, that I've got to make a choice. If I'm going to be radical... It always comes down to my choices. And really, the choice it really comes down to is this. Either I can put my faith in God and say, God, there is no way I can even choose you. There is no way that I can even live righteously. There is no way for me to actually be radical, for me to actually experience what you want to give me apart from you. I can't do any of it on my own. I'm done with the self-salvation And that didn't mean I had it together. Like, I'm not talking about, like, I got it all together and then I was, like, able to get to God. I'm talking about, like, I just went, I just don't have it all together, God. There's all this junk in my life, and I keep crawling back up on the throne in my life. Like, I keep going, like, God, I want you to be on the throne, and I crawl back up on the throne. I've done this for a long time, and it always leads me back to the same place. God, there's no way I could do this without you. Jesus, I believe that you are the real thing, and this is what I think radical faith is all about. It's the choice of To believe that salvation is found in the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of self. That I'm never going to find salvation in the kingdom of self. I will always need the kingdom of God. I think this is what Jesus meant when he talked about the kingdom. I think this is why he brought it up over and over again, was to forge for us a new reality that you can participate in the kingdom of all the stuff that you have and all the stuff you want to do your way. But it's the kingdom of God. It's this other reality of what you can't see and touch and feel and smell. It's what God wants to do in your life. It's life-changing. It's when God is the source of you. And that is radical. Okay, so now now this brings us to Mark chapter 1. Now you're prepared to understand what's happening in Mark chapter 1. So in Mark chapter 1, we find this really odd guy. His name is John the Baptist. John the Baptizer. Because God, in all of his wisdom, and I don't know what he was thinking, but in all of his wisdom, he decides to take the most awkward, unnatural person on the planet and have him introduce Jesus, God incarnate. Right? Now, John is like this radical person that like, like, okay, he eats locusts and honey. This is like his sustenance every day. Like, this is the new diet. Like, you want to try a new diet? Try the honey and locust diet, right? Sounds delicious. I guess it's like dip. (laughs) So here's John the Baptist, right? Like, he, he literally lives in the wilderness. No house, just lives in the wilderness. It's the guy, right? Like, he wears a coat of camel hair. No one else, this is not fashion. No one else is wearing the fur camel, ho, camel hair coat, okay? Especially if you're Jewish. It's actually anti-religious, the idea of even wearing it. He, he says stuff that's so politically like challenging and so outrageous and disruptive that eventually, like he's viewed as such an insurgent, that the governor of that region Wants to execute him and yet is afraid to execute him because he sees the spiritual power in John. He should have been like the most unpopular guy on the planet, right? Like, who comes out? Like, people should have been like, I'm staying away. He's like the circus freak show. He's like the, he's like the guy on the corner. You've seen him, right? You've, you've not even gone across the corner because he's got his sign, the end is near, right? And you're like, yeah, maybe, but I'm just going to go the other direction. This is John the Baptist. He's like, he's like Duck Dynasty meets Billy Graham. Like, and no one, no one avoids him. Like It says that like everyone in Judea is coming out to see him. And you have to ask yourself the question, why? What is going on with him that everyone would come to see him? That he is that popular? Because no one questions his devotion to God. They may question his sanity, but they do not question his devotion to God. And his radicalness is not in what he wore, or his crazy diet, or the fact that he lived in the wilderness. This is what we're going to see in just a minute. His radicalness is in what he actually believed to be true. Mark chapter 1, verse 7. John announced, someone is coming soon who is greater than I. Now remember, crowds are thronging. They're coming out and throngs. They're coming out. There's people everywhere along this little river where he's baptizing people. I and mean, it's a little river. It's like yellow breeches, right? That's the river that he's in. And... People are just coming out everywhere. They're everywhere. They want to hear him. They want to see him. They see John as this great spiritual person. It's the only reason you show up because otherwise you're like, whoo, that's a little weird. But they see it and they know it and they go, this guy, he's on to something. And and they're willingly coming into the river to be baptized. A baptism of repentance. This is not even tradition. Here's John. He says, you think I'm something great? You think I have spiritual authority? You think I believe? I'm going to tell you why it's true, why I believe what I believe, and why it's so true because there's somebody who is coming who is greater than I, so much greater that I am not even worthy to stoop down and touch the dirtiest, nastiest, worst part of his body. I can't even tie. I can't even act like a slave with him. Like he is so much greater than I. I you can't. I because he has this picture from last week. This Isaiah six moment where Isaiah saw who God was, and it was so overwhelming. This is John the Baptist. He knows who Jesus is. God incarnate. Let's sink in. Creator of the universe in the flesh. You might. You? I mean, Jesus actually asked him to baptize him. John's like, I can't do that. John says, I baptize with water. I baptize you with something that you can see and touch and feel. I baptize you with something that's created as a symbol, a way to say, you know what? Get yourself ready for what God wants to do. I'm giving you that. That's nothing. Because all that does is help you just become aware that you're in need of some. Which one's coming? He's going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit. He's not just going to tell you, hey, you need to make a different choice. He's going to offer you the life. God incarnate is going to offer you the life of God. You get this, to come live inside you. You are, you, you, you put your faith in Jesus, you put your faith in him, he's going to baptize you in that. God's spirit inside of you, alive, empowering you. You think, oh, I don't know if I can do that. God is inside of you. Jesus brought him to change your life. And then a little while later, Jesus makes a statement. We talked about this the first week. Jesus makes this the first statement of his ministry. This is the time promised, time promised by God has come at last, he announced, the kingdom of God is near. Repent of your sins and believe the good news. Now, if you've been in church a long time, you've probably heard this, that re- the word repent means turn 180 degrees, right? It, it means you turn. Like you're going towards something and you say, U-turn. I'm going to repent of my sins. But, but if you really want to understand it, and, and that's, that's true, but it's not all that Jesus meant. If you really want to understand it, we have to hear it the way the first century person heard it. Because when they heard it, when you hear repent, you probably think this, right? Be a good person so you don't go to hell. Right? L- live your life well so that God can, like, bless you or something. But you, you hear this kind of idea of, like, well, when I hear repent, what I hear is, if I like it, It's probably wrong, and I should stop doing it. But that's not what it meant. In the first century, it meant something totally different. In fact, in the first century, it meant so much different. And and, and the the writer Josephus tells us a little bit of this when he talks about he was actually a a part of the Roman Empire, and he was actually called on to put down an uprising. See, there were up in the Roman Empire, there were uprisings all the time. And he was called upon, he said, Listen, go put down that uprising peaceably if possible. And Josephus writes that when he went there, as a young army commander, he faced to face with a zealot who was leading this uprising, this this new kingdom that he wanted to establish, that he had been ordered to put down. And he approaches the zealot, and this is what he says. This is how it translates into English. He he, he says, give up your way and trust in my way of doing Give up your way and trust in my way of doing. Except that if you read the Greek, the words that he says in Greek are repent and believe. So when we hear the words of Jesus, repent and believe, we must not hear a message of morality or a message of condemnation we need to hear the great words i mean sure we need to hear confession of sins but we also need to hear the great weight of these words which is give up your agenda and your way of doing things in the kingdom of self it's not going to work trust in me i have a new way i'm about to conquer death and sin and hell and just I'm about to restore your life and give you an option to have the Holy Spirit live in you and transform you and change you. This is what trusting Christ is all about. A choice to be all in. Now, here's the thing about those choices. Remember I said I, I don't like the tension in this message. I don't, it invites us into a space where like, it feels pretty intrusive. Like, This is is where it gets real, what radical looks like, when we have to choose things like someone hurts us and we have to say, will I forgive them or will I just be angry and bitter? Because everything around us says, no, just be angry and bitter, but am I going to choose to forgive? It means that we have to make choices where we say, like, ah, boy, I really want that, but God Will I? Am I willing just to say, maybe I don't have it all together. I really want that. I'm feeling drawn to that. God, will you help me? Because I can't even resist being drawn to that without your help. Because I know that that is not all there is. Something greater. Something more. Yeah, you, know, you think about like I think about the people in my life who haven't yet met Jesus. My heart breaks for them. They they don't know that spiritual power. They still live like that's all there is. That's why they're depressed. That's why they're unhappy. That's why they feel like they don't belong because they have never felt the spiritual reality of the kingdom of God. It says this is not all there is. You see, there's so much more. And God wants to make it alive in you, a new reality. See, repent and believe is about the choices we make. It's about the choices we make to say, Jesus, I want you. I want to put my trust in you as my source of life. You're the only place I can get my source of life from. Now, Paul says this really well. The Apostle Paul, who's a follower of Jesus, gave up a lot for Jesus. Really, man, talk about devoted to Jesus and radical. But he didn't, like, take some vow of poverty and live in a monastery. He lived in the real world, and this is what he said. He said, basically, and this is the idea of that whole idea of source of life, is that Jesus is our source of life because until Jesus becomes everything, we're always adding something to Jesus. We're never really believing there's something greater. and more. This is what Paul says. He puts it this way. He says, but whatever... But whatever gain I had, so before Jesus, whatever I gained, whatever I added onto God, whatever I achieved, whatever I grew into, whatever I loved, I counted it as loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, in comparison to what I now know as Jesus and all that he has done in my life, in comparison to that, this word loss actually means a bad deal. The kingdom of self, it's a bad deal. It's a bad transaction. He says, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, that there is nothing greater than this reality of Jesus in our lives as Lord. He says, for I have suffered loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish. I count them, and this word actually means dung. Like, in comparison to God, anything you add to your life, Paul says, everything I added before this, all the rules I had, all the good achievements I had, all the reputation I had, all the money I had, all the friends I had, compared to knowing God and the reality of the kingdom of God and knowing that there's something more, it's like God. It's so much more. It's not that you never have that anymore. It's not like God's going to strip that away from you. It's that compared to God, it just doesn't compare it just doesn't even add up. That's radical. That's what, that's what John the Baptist was calling us into, to really believe that Jesus incarnate is on the planet and loves you and died to make all that happen. And so I ask you, and i leave you with this question today. What have you added? What have you added to faith? What have you added to Jesus. Because you felt like you had to have it. You need to have it. It's got to be that too. I don't know what it is, but we all have it. And I'm always trying to add competence to Jesus. I was just competent and excellent. People would love me. I belonged. always a lie. It's always a bad deal. I'm always exhausted when I think that. And I always hear God's voice saying, come back into this other reality that you can never earn what I want to give you for free. I want to add everything else to you, but you've got to seek me first. Jesus plus nothing is everything in your life. So what have you added? Is it God plus politics? You gotta get your right politics. Is it God plus that vacation? Just can't wait to get there. I, I get that then. Is it God plus that relationship? You just gotta have. Is it God plus everything lining up exactly the way you want it? Perfection that never really happens. It's a bad deal, it's a bad transaction. It's God plus success. Is it God plus your kids' future, their happiness. If I just had that then, and I'd know that I'd be happy. You know what I think Jesus would say to you? I think he would say, repent. And believe. Believe in me. Be. I want to give you the Holy Spirit. I want to give you this gift of change. I want to transform you from the inside out and make everything different and new. Stop settling for counterfeits. Give up your way of doing it trust in mine. Well, try to do it yourself. You'll never get it done. You need me. So put your faith in me. Trust in me. Stop adding when you should be subtracting. Let me act. Let me give you what you need. Healing, purpose, peace, belonging, all of it comes from Jesus. If you get it. it will always be fleeting. So, I'm going to ask you to bow your heads in prayer with and in this spirit of prayer, here's what I want to ask of you. Would you just get a picture in your mind in this moment? Here, here's the picture I want you to get. is Whatever it is that's added, you're like, God, i got to have that too. I know that you say that you have something for me, but I, I'm trying to do that on my own. I'm trying to get that on my own. I don't know what it is. I don't know whether it's your future or... Body image or your kid's future, or control or success or some relationship, whatever that is. I just can you picture it right now? And can you just picture yourself putting it into your hands and closing your hands on it because you want it? Just close your hands around it. I want you to picture yourself in God's presence. I just want you to show it to him. you don't need words right now just you picture yourself just showing that to God say God this is what I have been leaning on instead of you I, I know that you might be true but I just am having a hard time trusting it in you instead of this just show it to God and then maybe right in your heart right now just you might just join me in this prayer. In that moment with God, with that thing in your hand. Jesus, this morning, I hold in my hands what I think will bring me life. But I'm feeling kind of deceived because it's not giving me the life that I want, not the thriving life that you promise. What I hold in my hands is what I thought I needed, but it's not working, it's not enough. So this morning you help me to release that out of my hands God, pry my fingers open if you need to, but God please please give me life God, I, I renounce I renounce those expectations that are on me, I renounce my allegiance to these things whatever they are compared to knowing you and what you want to give me they are worthless but I can't do it on my own, God. So forgive me. Lead, me. Change me. I want to seek your kingdom. first. Trust that you'll give me everything else me. In Jesus. Name. Listen, will you stay in that kind of picture in your mind as we enter into worship? And if you, you want to write out a prayer request or record something on your response card, I would invite you to do that we'd love to pray for you, but in this moment of worship you maybe even find an open posture of open hands like this you say God, there it is this next song I'm just going to let it wash over me I'm just going to say God this is this is me and you right now I need your help, will you take it will you fill up my hands with what you want will you do that